Romans chapter 15. We've been in this series now. This is lesson 25. We will have 26 lessons for sure. I think I can finish chapter 16 next week uh, without having to split it in two. Those are pretty much Paul's parting words and greeting some folks and different things. So we'll be able to finish that up next week. So without further ado, Romans 15, let's read verses 17 through 19. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ. Paul's saying, I'm going to talk about what the Lord has done. I've got some reason to be excited or bring some glory to what's going on in Christ Jesus in things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul loves run-on sentences. Lots of semicolons and commas and all those things. That's pretty much two sentences, but two verses. Uh, and so he, he loves to do that. So what is Paul glorying in? He's not bringing glory to himself is the first thing we need to understand. He's bringing glory to God for what? I highlight things. You know that if you've ever seen my iPad, it just it's always highlighted uh, when I'm preaching or whatever. If you look at verse 1, he says, I have reason to glory in Christ for those things which Christ has accomplished through me. Let me just tell you what Paul did in those sentences is that he kind of used the negative in order to pull out the positive. So he said, I'm not going to speak about those things which Christ has not accomplished. So in other words, I'm going to speak about those things which he has accomplished. He kind of goes about it in a roundabout manner, but he is bringing out that the Lord has done some good things through him. How many can testify that the Lord has even been able to use you or me to accomplish some good things? And that's what the Lord is good about doing. Uh, he can take uh, little old me or little old you and accomplish some great things for the kingdom of God. And so that's what Paul is uh, doing here. His reason to glory in Christ is because of the things that God did through him. And so he's not bringing attraction or admiration for himself. It is simply what Christ has done through him. And that's what Paul, Paul's given all the credit to the Lord. And I mean, he is saying he did it through me. There's a word, there's a term called false humility. And we need to be careful as Christians that we don't have false humility. What does that mean? People come up to me, not everybody, after I've preached a sermon. That's a good sermon, Pastor. Now, false humility is to say, well, you know, 
It's not really me, it's all the Lord. Well, the Lord used me to accomplish a message to the church. He gets the glory, but I'm not totally left out of the equation. So he's doing it through me. False humility acts like we are nothing. And truthfully, we are not nothing. We are children of the king. Everybody can approach that however they want to. I simply just say thank you. I know that it's not all me. It's mostly the Lord, but I've been a willing vessel. Uh, so we do need to be careful that we don't have false humility because really false humility is actually building up self whenever you look at it. False humility is saying, taking away so much from what we did that it's actually elevating us. So we, we need to be careful that we don't do that. It's okay to recognize that God has used you. That's what I'm saying. What does Paul, he's saying there's been some mighty signs and wonders that have been accomplished by God through me. How were they accomplished? Well, by the Spirit or the power of God's Spirit, right? The power of the Spirit of God. That's in that second long sentence down near the end. It says, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what we're seeing. Those things have been done by the power of the Spirit of God. That's verse 19 when you look at it. That Paul has been fully preaching the gospel. Just a question for you. What does he mean? What do you think he means? No wrong answers. We're learning together here. Why does he say, I've been fully preaching the gospel? As opposed to not fully preaching the gospel. If you look at the first 11 chapters of Romans, you're going to find out that it's all grace. That we're sinners, that we're all of this. And so Paul preaches that we're sinners until we have been saved, right? Uh, and so that is a part of fully preaching the gospel. What else? Does it mean he hasn't left out anything? That's kind of a case. He hasn't left out grace versus, you know, that there is punishment for sin. And, uh, he said, I've been fully preaching the gospel. I've been busy doing something for the Lord. What does that, what does, what does that mean to you? Look at what was right before those words. In word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. And then he starts talking about that there have been mighty signs and wonders. When the preaching of the gospel is done by the power of the Spirit, what Paul expects to happen is that there are mighty signs and wonders that accompany the preaching of the gospel. In other words, if there aren't any signs or wonders or miracles or those kinds of things, then are we preaching the fullness in fullness? Because Paul expects the Spirit to get a hold of the Word of God and there to be signs and wonders, miracles, those kinds of things. And so I really believe that's what he's saying there because of where it is in the Scripture here that 
because of the power of the Spirit of God, then there's signs and wonders. There's things that are happening. So uh, he's fully preaching that. I, I think that's a great addition to that. And what Kay said is that he's not just preaching grace and he's not just preaching condemnation, but he's doing both. Uh, so I think that, that adds to that as well. Paul considers that the preaching of the gospel without the Holy Spirit is less than preaching the full gospel. How successful has Paul been in preaching the gospel? In other words, what has been his reach? How far has he been able to preach the gospel? He said, I fully preached the gospel, and then from where to where? Jerusalem to however you say that word. Elytrium? I'm not, I'm not sure how you say that word. Uh, I should have put it in my phone and asked it to say it. I'm not sure that it would even do it well then. What does that mean? Essentially, it's east to west. That's the, the reach of that. He said, I've, I've been preaching from east to west, from Jerusalem to Elytrium, or however you say that. He's been doing that, and he is preaching in those areas. So if you know anything about Paul, he's constantly on missions, a missionary trip. He's never still for very long. It's rare for Paul. Paul, I think the longest he ever stayed with any one church was three years. And so uh, he's constantly moving, constantly, uh, not because there isn't still work to do there, but what he is doing as an apostle, and this is the work of an apostle, is that he's establishing churches, putting pastors and leaders into the churches so that they then can do the work of the kingdom. And he can move on, because that's his job, uh, is to help establish churches and, and to do that. Let's read verses uh, 20 through 21. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So what's Paul saying? Who does Paul really desire to preach to? Exactly. Somebody he that hasn't already heard the message. So he's saying, I don't want to just build on, you know, to go in and disrupt what someone else has already started and they've already preached the gospel and the message of the gospel in a particular area, but I want to go in and I want to further and expand the reach of the gospel to places and to people that have uh, not heard it preached. So Paul desired to preach the gospel in new places. In new places where no one else had preached. And that's important. Remember, Christianity has not spread like it is today. In the United States, though we kind of, not kind of, we definitely wish it was more, 70 8% of people identify themselves as Christian in the United States. Still today. That's a lot. I'm not going to comment on that too much. 
Uh, how do people say they're Christians when sometimes they're not really living that? But anyway, uh, at least they identify that way. But that wasn't the case when Paul was beginning. This was just starting. And so Paul was like, I don't need to stay in one spot, but I need to go out and preach the gospel when people establish leaders in churches and keep proliferating the gospel of Christ. That's what those apostles really did uh, when all of this began. In other words, I don't, Paul's saying, I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. Rather, and this is a word that we still use today, he wants to pioneer work for the Lord. What is the word pioneer? Do you remember that's what they called settlers who were going from east to west in the United States before it was developed? They were pioneers. And so that's what Paul desires to do, is to become a pioneer for the work of the Lord. Because there's so much to do. Here's the bad and the good news. There are still places that have never heard the message of the gospel. Even today. It's bad, but it's also good because it means there's opportunity for us to do what God's called us to do to proliferate or to advance the gospel message. And beyond that, did you know that as a church, we're not just called to win people to Christ? That is first and foremost, but what are we supposed to do? It's called the Great Commission. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them all the things of the world. So this is a part of discipleship. We discipleship with one another, but Discipleship is more as making other people like you. So it's interesting how what I have been studying in school, I'm taking intercultural communication class. And guess what book they wanted, what book of the Bible they wanted us to read along with other textbooks? Romans. Paul doesn't want to build upon another man's work. In other words, and also he's saying, but as it is written, he's quoting scripture to back up the reason why he doesn't just stay in one spot and that he's moving from place to place to advance the kingdom and the gospel message. He's fulfilling uh, those passages in the Old Testament uh, about proliferating the, the way of the Lord. If what you are doing is not found somewhere in the scriptures as far as work for the Lord, you might want to reconsider it. Is it worthwhile? Is it spelled out in the Bible as something that we ought to be doing as Christians? I'm not saying everything we do is going to be word for word in the Bible. They didn't have internet, Facebook, and they didn't have, you know, those kinds of things, but what are we doing? Advancing the kingdom. That's in the Bible. What did Jesus say for his disciples to pray? Let your kingdom come. What is that? That's advancing the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Right? So if what you are doing, what do we do as a church? Sunday morning, there's worship. That's biblical. There's teaching. Sunday school. That's biblical. There's 
gospel message being preached, that's biblical, right? All those things. There's gathering because we're supposed to gather. Uh, all those things that uh, they're, they're all biblical. Reaching out into the community through outreach is biblical. That's, that's, what, that's what we see Paul doing, right? There's scripture that he uses uh, to back that up. All right. Verses 22 through 24. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So here's Paul is saying, I really want to come to Rome. We're going to get into something that's a little bit comical in a way. I find it comical. Uh, but Paul is like, I really want to come to Rome. I feel like I'm supposed to go to Rome. And at some point, I'm going to go to Rome. But there's a reason why I haven't been able to yet. Paul, that's what Paul's going to explain here in these verses. For this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I, I may enjoy your company for a while. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, I haven't been up to come to Rome yet because I'm still doing this pioneer work. But that's wrapping up. What has hindered me from coming to you is that I've been traveling and doing mission work, so I haven't been able to be there. And Paul's saying, before I come to you, though, I'm going to go to, to Spain, and then I'm going to come to you. And so Paul supposes that he'll, he's going to visit Rome on a future trip to Spain, and that he will, and by the way, after Paul is, uh, gets out of imprisonment, there is uh, historical records that pretty much say that he did go to Spain. And so that he uh, did do that. Paul's saying, I'm going to, uh, because I've been preaching the gospel on other frontiers, I haven't gotten to you yet, but I'm going to stop off in Rome. And I'm going to enjoy some fellowship with you before I go to other places to preach. Now, what he did not know is how he would get to Rome. And I imagine Paul, sometimes we do this, by the way. God tells us to do something. We get an inclination we're supposed to do something. And we think we know the way it's going to happen. Has God ever surprised you before in the way that he, things happened in order for what he's told you to do to come to pass? Never put me in jail yet. No, no, I'm thankful that I haven't had to go to jail. I mean, why would Paul want to go to Rome? First, let's look at that. Rome was essentially the capital of the world. So imagine you get to go to the capital of the world. Now, because we're so ethnocentric, we think that Washington, D.C. is the capital. We think our culture is it, and it's not. Imagine, hey, it'd be quite an awesome, amazing thing to be able to go to Washington, D.C. and preach the gospel. But I don't want to go to jail in order for that to happen. But that's what happens with Paul, right? 
It's kind of comical because Paul knows he's going to go to Rome, but he doesn't understand how God's going to accomplish that. Guess what? The trip didn't cost him anything. That's pretty good. I mean, you know, imagine if God just said, I'm going to get you to Rome, not going to cost you nothing. Praise the Lord. Gave him housing, free boat ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not thinking about all those things, right? But God does have a way of accomplishing his purpose. And sometimes it doesn't look like anything we think it's going to look like. But he does it, right? Uh, and so that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, he said, I hope to see you on my journey. Now, Paul had some plans. It's good to have plans. You never accomplish anything if you don't have plans. He said, hey, I'm going to come to you by way of a missionary trip. I'm going to get there. That's Paul's plan. What he didn't realize is he's going to stand before Caesar and get an opportunity to talk to Caesar about the gospel. I'm sure he never imagined that, right? I mean, what, what an amazing thing that God accomplishes through him. He, he talks to the emperor of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was almost worldwide. So Rome conquered Israel. And so they were over. That's why in Jesus' time, you see, it was the Roman government that the religious leaders appealed to in order to get Jesus crucified. Because they didn't have the, the power governmentally to do that. No, they were Gentiles. Jew and Gentile doesn't. Uh, but in biblical times, that, that was pretty much the designation. You're either Jew or you're Gentile. They're, they're not, they're, there wasn't anything, you know, there wasn't, uh, it didn't refer to other nationalities and ethnicities and that kind of thing. Not in the Bible. I mean, there weren't, it wasn't that they weren't there. That's just the designation. Of, you're the Jew or you're Gentile. Uh, and so uh, Rome was over almost the entire world at one time. And so uh, Paul, that's why Paul wanted to go there in the first place. And he gets to go. It's just I kind of find it funny that the way he gets to go is not quite what he expected. And so uh, it's it's kind of kind of neat how God does things. He, he's got a greater purpose, even than what we realize. And honestly, I'm not sure that Paul. So, so, so think about this. Here's this man that is driven to preach the gospel, to go from country to country in order to win people to Christ. And the Lord said, he said, I want to go to Rome. You're going to get to go to Rome. But when you get there, by the way, that thing I've been telling you that you need to write, you're going to get plenty of time to write. <laughs> right? I mean, would Paul, I'm just, I'm just speculating on this, would Paul have ever stopped long enough to write almost two-thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul? If he hadn't had time in the jail to get it done. Well, many times, God, not only do we just go through them, and, but the kingdom purpose is advanced and 
We become different people. Paul had all kinds of time to think about theology, how we can advance the kingdom, all those things that we learn from his work. All those, you see, we went to Rome, Romans because of all the theology that's contained in it. How did Paul work all that out? Sitting in the prison cell. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really interesting as we look at this. Verses 25 through 29. So, Paul's still presenting his plans here, although we know that we changed around. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. Guess what? He did that. He went to Jerusalem. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So Paul says, I'm going to stop in Jerusalem because I've got an offering for Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was the main church during this time. But also, we learn in other books of the Bible that Jerusalem went through a great uh, famine and so there was need for other people to help them out, to send money, to send provision, and all of those kinds of things. So Paul said, I'm going to bring that to you. And it pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. Now wait a minute. What does that mean? We're going to discuss that. How are Gentiles debtors to the Jews in Jerusalem? For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them the material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to come to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul thought he was going to Jerusalem, and he did come to deliver an offering and some provision, he did. But what he didn't know is that he's, an uproar is going to happen and he's going to end up going to be imprisoned and then eventually making it to Rome. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them the material things. Paul's saying, look, I've been spreading the gospel from Jerusalem, which is primarily Jewish people, from east to west, from Jerusalem to Elycrium, or however you say that word, and he says, I've got over here, they've learned that there's a need in Jerusalem, and they're sending you an offering, but that's okay because they're indebted to you anyway. Why are they indebted? Because they were grafted in? Because they got something spiritual from the Jews, those Jewish Christian believers, and now it's okay that they give an offering and that they send provision because they can help the Jews in Jerusalem physically or naturally, but they've also been blessed spiritually. So they owe it to them, is what he's saying. You're indebted to them. You should do, they should have done this anyway. So that's what Paul's saying. He's observing here that there has been a spiritual contribution by the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to the Gentiles, and now the Gentiles are returning that favor, but it's in material things. 
New King James says material, which it doesn't necessarily just mean an offering like money. It could have meant supplies. It could have meant uh, food. It could have meant many different things. It doesn't really say carnal, you know, makes you think of, of things for your body, for things, you know. Eating is a necessity. So Paul come to break that uh, and he comes to Jerusalem eventually goes to Rome just not in the way that he had planned to go you see that he, through all this at one point I wrote in my notes the plans of mice and men because sometimes we plan a lot and God changes it around <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that anybody use that sometimes alright let's look, look at the last three Verses here. I think it's this is really has an important thing to what Paul is doing. He recognizes number one that he needs prayer. A good leader will recognize that they are always in need of prayer. I mean, hey, I covet your prayers. As a leader, all leaders, you just have a bigger bullseye. On you at times, right? I mean, that's that's the truth uh, from the enemy, but sometimes also from people who don't want you to do what you've been called to do. Paul's going says, "I need prayer." Now, let me read it first. Now, I beg you. In other words, he's saying, "I don't just. I'm just not like you know." How many have said have said lightly before? Pray for me. Sometimes we say that and, you know, because it sounds spiritual. Paul is saying. I'm begging you. I need you to pray for me. So now I beg you, brother, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers. In prayers to God for me. That word, those words strive together, it literally means to do battle with and for me. Did you know that's what we do when we pray for people? We're coming to God on their behalf but we're doing spiritual battle for them and and with them because they're a leader right he's paul's a leader he's saying hey join me i'm praying for myself too but you help me and strive with me not strive like fight with me but strive for me right uh, and help me i need your help yeah strive beside me be in prayer with me is what it's saying. Yeah, strive beside me. Be in prayer with me, is what it's saying. This purpose, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Think about that statement. I think Paul realized that something might happen in Jerusalem. There's people that were against him. He knew that already, right? And so he's like, Hey, uh, pray for me that I'm going to be delivered from these people in Judea. So there's danger. The disciples, uh, whenever he's going back to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead, when Jesus is going back, they say, are you sure you want to go in? Because you know what happened last time he was there, you know, that uh, they, they tried to take him, right? And so uh, Paul realizes that. And he, so he's praying 
First, his prayer request is that I can be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Then he goes on and he says, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What does he mean by that? Any ideas? He's saying, I'm going to present the gospel message. I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach when I get to Jerusalem and pray that what I do is acceptable to the saints, that they receive it. So that's a part of his prayer request. Third thing, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. That I have joy in this whole process of being obedient to the Lord, but also he's praying for joy. How many knows that the joy of the Lord is your strength? And so he's saying, hey, I need to have some joy to do what God's will is. Last thing, that I may be refreshed together with you. Paul's been working hard. He's still got a great job to do here when he comes to Jerusalem according to his plans. And he's saying, I need some joy and I need some refreshing. So that's that's a part of uh, what he is doing to me. Strive together with me. Help me. Be my ally in the fight. Interestingly, the root word, a word sometimes in Greek is made up of more than one word. So you have a root word and then you'll have something added to it, either in front or behind it. The root word for strive with me in prayer, the root word for that strive is the word agony. Agonize with me. The same word that was used about Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's pretty powerful. He's Paul's not he's not saying, "Hey, just shoot up a little prayer for me." I hate it when people say so flippantly, "Say a prayer for me," because you can tell when it's flippant when it's not sometimes. Or when they say, "Think some good thoughts for me." That's worse. Give me some good vibes. No. What is Paul saying here? He said, get in there with me and strive and agonize with me. Get a hold of God for me. I need some help. Press in, right? And help me in this thing. That I may come to you with joy. This is his last word. May I come to you with joy. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's how he ends chapter 15. Paul got to go to Rome. He went a different way than he thought, but he's very intent about accomplishing what God has called him to do, no matter what it takes. I think we can really learn lessons about that, because working for the kingdom is not always easy. We have enemy against us. Sometimes even those in the kingdom don't understand us and fight against us or don't come alongside of this. I mean, it's not always easy to work for the kingdom, is it? So we need to pray for one another. We need to ask the Lord to give us joy so that we can have the things that we need to accomplish his purpose. Paul went to Rome 
in chains. You see that in Acts chapter 28, that he had had been in chains. Let me go through the questions and then I'll come back to you to see if there are any more questions. According to verse 17 through 18, why does Paul have reason to glory in Christ? For the things that Christ has accomplished through him. That's correct. How were the mighty signs and wonders done, according to verse 19? By the power of the Spirit of God. Question 3, also verse 19. In what area had Paul fully preached the gospel? East to West. Jerusalem to that word. I haven't been able to say well tonight. Question 4, verses 20 and 21. Where did Paul desire to preach the gospel? To those who have not heard. That's correct. New places is another way of saying that. Where nobody else has preached. Question five. Why hadn't Paul visited the Romans yet? He's traveling. He's reaching those people who haven't heard. He's doing pioneer work for the the kingdom, right? That's why he hasn't made it. You could just simply say, I've been busy. And not it's not he's not putting on that I've been I mean those sometimes when people don't want to do something, they will say, I've been busy. But Paul really had been busy. Question six, verse according to verse 27. What is the duty of the Gentiles to the Christians in Jerusalem? To minister to them in material things. That's the duty of the Gentiles to the Christians there. Help them out with those physical things that they need because they've already helped you with the spiritual things that you need. Question seven. What did Paul beg the Romans to do? Pray for them. Question eight. According to verses 31 through 33. What are the four things in Paul's prayer request? I'll name them because we got too many people here to say, to say four sentences in a row. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who don't believe. That's number one. Number two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Number two. Number three, that I may come to you with joy. And number four, that I may be refreshed together with you. 